If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Well, my love, this is episode 512, at least numerically. According to you people who know more about this podcast than we do. When you take out bonus episodes and best of episodes, this is the 500th original regular episode of the box of oddities wow hard to stink and believe that's 1000 stories that you and i have have come up with over the past five years well there was that one that i did that apparently i did before oh but you had a different angle on it so yep different angle doesn't count (laughs) so we've kind of racked our brains for a while of how we would uh celebrate the 500th episode When we get back from Thailand, we thought we would organize, we've mentioned this briefly a a couple of times, what a fun idea this would be, a freak family game night. Yeah, I really want to do this, but I don't know how it works. Therefore, it intimidates me. Therefore, I ignore it. Right. Um, So you've decided that you are going to be spearheading this project because I'm not, I can't be trusted. It'll be on the Looped Network. We've done a couple of shows on the Looped Network. We did uh, Choose Our Tattoos uh, a while ago and some other things. And, And they have a great platform for digital trivia so that everybody can play. You don't have to beat the buzzer uh, when you've got like a couple hundred people playing or something. Yeah. And uh, we can do, we can give away prizes. Yeah, we'll do some sort of prizes. Yeah. That sounds like fun. Freak Family Game Night. Could you, mm, so we are, are we playing too or are we just hosting? Well, that's a good question. I I think maybe we'll just host. Or maybe we could ask the curator, Lindsay, to uh, to host. He's very good at that sort of thing. And he wanted to be a game show host when he was growing up. Oh my so. gosh, he would have been such a good game show host. The best. We'll work out the logistics and we'll give you the details and uh, this will be fun. Anyway, I've got a story. Are you ready? Yes, please. Okay. For a substantial period of time, they were one of the most popular forms of entertainment. They were commonly part of circus sideshows from the 19th into the early 20th century. They were predominantly 
exhibited by P.T. Barnum and by Ringling Brothers, as well as circus and carnival freak shows. William Shakespeare in Macbeth referenced them when he wrote, quote, You should be woman, and yet your beards forbid me to interpret that you are so. This is the history of what has become known as the bearded lady, but specifically one bearded lady. Okay. Of course, not all bearded ladies uh, appeared in sideshows. Uh, a bearded lady is a woman who has a naturally occurring beard. Normally, it's due to a condition known as hirsutism, or in some cases, hypertrichosis. But not all bearded ladies actually had beards, though, right? Like some of them were faux beards. Is that not that accurate? Is, that is very true. Okay. Some of them were fake, but there were a lot of legitimate bearded women cases. Yeah. Hirsutism and hypertrichosis, two different things. Hypertrichosis causes the person to develop excess hair all over their entire body and affects both men and women. Whereas uh, hirsutism is restricted to females and only causes the excessive hair to grow in nine different body areas. Okay. I didn't know this. I thought it was uh, just facial hair. But according to the Ferriman-Galloway score, the areas of women that, were, that are affected with hirsutism are upper lip, chin, mm -hmm. chest, upper back, lower back, upper abdomen, lower abdomen, upper arms, forearms, thighs, and legs. Only a small number of women have been able to grow enough facial hair to, to actually create a full beard, mm -hmm. hirsutism is usually caused by uh, polycystic ovary syndrome. PCOS. I had to get tested for that because I gained so much weight after we got married. Yeah. And my doctor was like, there's obviously something wrong with you. And I was like, agreed. And he was like, mm, uh, it turns out it's Alfredo. And I was like, mm, yeah. yeah. You, had, you had polycystic Alfredo syndrome. Um, Polycystic ovary syndrome actually causes an excess of uh, testosterone as well as an oversensitivity to said testosterone. But in some cases, female beard growth is a result of just a simple uh, hormonal imbalance. Yeah. Most women who had uh, beards during this period simply shaved them off. Others turned their unusual condition into a vocation by exhibiting themselves uh, in this sort of sideshow or freak show that they called it at the time. And like any type of job in show business, there are those who make larger mark on the industry or have bigger impacts than others. And one of the most successful in this area as a bearded woman uh, was a woman whose name was Julia Pastrana. Julia Pastrana was born in 1834. She was of Native American ancestry and was born in Mexico. Sadly, growing up, she was defined by her appearance yeah. from, a, from a very, very early age. She only grew to be about four feet, five inches, and weighed barely 110 pounds. And of course, she was covered with, with long, silky hair. That's just a smidge shorter than my mom. <laughs> <laughs> she was believed by some at the time that she was half human and half wolf. Oh, come on, guys. Yeah, yeah. This was because uh, she suffered from hypertrichosis and not the hirsutism, so most of her body was covered in thick, long, black hair. Her mother even believed that her daughter's condition was the result of some supernatural force, some kind of a demonic thing. Other local Mexican tribes said uh, a shape-shifting werewolf caused this deformity. Ugh. You know how they, you, you talked about this in one of your episodes, if uh, 
a child was born with a certain condition, it was thought that, oh, the mother had been scared by a rabbit or, right. you know, those yeah. kind of things. Elephant man's mom was scared by an elephant. Right. So she spent her early years of childhood in an orphanage. She became a bit of a local celebrity and word started to spread about Julia. In fact, the governor of the Mexican state that she lived in heard about her and adopted her. She served him as a live-in entertainer and a maid, and she lived there until she was about 20 years old. When she was 20, she decided she was going to return to her village. She did not complete that journey because she ran into a guy named M. Rates, who was an American showman, and he talked her into performing on stage. And they toured extensively. She toured throughout Europe, uh, throughout the U.S., in traveling freak shows and circuses. So while in the United States, during one leg of her tour, she met a man named Theodore Lent. In 1854, she eloped with him, and then he became her manager. Oh, like Celine Dion. Was he her manager first, and then they got married? Yeah, because yeah. he first knew her when she was like 12. Oh, okay. And Ooh, he was a... Sorry. Yeah. Anyway. Never, sorry to bring that up. Her husband slash manager would exhibit her under the most, some of the most unflattering stage names ever. She was exhibited as the baboon lady. Oh, come on. The dog-faced woman. The bear woman. And the, quote, nondescript. <laughs> I love language from that time. Her act consisted of her coming out on stage. The audience would be shocked. Uh, she would then sing and dance and interact with the audience. And they were so impressed. The audience became so impressed because they didn't expect her to be able to do much of anything. Right. Since she's half monkey or right. bear or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And she apparently had some intelligence and wit. Julia took full advantage of them thinking that she didn't have a, a mind of her own and, and used that in her show. She toured for years, becoming a very, very well-known celebrity. Huge audiences would flock to her shows. One newspaper re reviewing her show said, quote, The eyes of this unusual oddity beam with intelligence, while its jaws, jagged fangs, and ears are terrifyingly hideous. Nearly its whole frame is coated with long, glossy hair. Stop saying it! What the heck? Yet its voice is harmonious from this semi-human being. It's perfectly docile and speaks the Spanish language. Interestingly, though, Julia actually spoke three languages and did it fluently. But she exploited this. Of course, yeah. No, I mean, it's like um, Bridget the Midget. The diminutive stripper. Yes. Mm -hmm. Who takes full advantage of people being taken yeah. by... Sure. The unusual nature of her act. Oh, yes. Perfect. Okay. Well done. So in January of 1860, they were on a leg of their tour. They were in Moscow. And she gave birth to a son. Sadly, two days after the child was born, he passed away. Oh. And three days after he passed away... Julia herself died. Oh. Her last words were, quote, I die happy. I know I have been loved for myself. Oh. She was a very gentle, kind, intelligent person who certainly was exploited, but also exploited the exploiters, which was kind of cool. However, when she was dead, she wasn't exploiting anybody. 
the show didn't stop. Julia's husband and manager, believe it or not, sold her body and her child's body to a professor of anatomy at a Moscow university. And the professor who purchased them, uh, his name was Sokolov. He embalmed the bodies and immediately put them on public display. Did the husband know that that's what he was going to do with them? Because, like, I don't mind if you sell my body to science. Right. But I wouldn't love the idea of being, you know, stuffed and put on display. I don't know for sure, but uh, when her husband did hear that the professor was making a ton of money, he demanded the bodies be returned. And they were. And then he put them in glass cases. Oh, no. Toured with them for the next six years around the globe. Wait. The professor gave them back? Yeah. Oh, that's decent. Lent, her husband, then went on tour with them, and and he met a woman named Marie Bartel. And Marie suffered from the same rare condition that Julia did, and in fact resembled Julia greatly. So Lent took full advantage of this opportunity, and he married her, and then changed her name to Zanara Pastrana, and exhibited her as the sister of Julia. So... (sighs) She would go and stand next to the embalmed body of Julia. It's like an episode of Days of Our Lives. It's crazy. At some point, he hid the preserved bodies and told people that Zenora and Julia were actually the same person and carry this fraud out until Zenora died. Shortly after this, wherever he hid them, somebody found them and stole the corpses. They simply disappeared. Oh, my God. For decades. In fact, it wasn't until 1967 in Norway that police discovered and recovered the corpses. In Norway? In Norway. They were kept in uh, storage at the university in Oslo until the year 2005. In 2005, a Mexican artist named Lauren Anderson Barbada was able to negotiate to bring Julia's remains home to Mexico. I don't know what happened with the child. I'm assuming that the child came back with her, but it says Julia's remains. Mm. In an interview with the New York Times, she said, quote, I felt she deserved the right to regain her dignity and her place in history and in the world's memory. On February 12th, 2013, 152 years after she died, Julia was finally laid to rest and buried in her hometown. My source information, Wikipedia, Vintage News, and Atlas Obscura. Julia Pastrana. What a roller coaster. Wow, right? And she was stunning. Let me show you a picture. Oh my goodness. Doesn't she look self-assured? Fabulous. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. 
Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings, while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away and my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer and now that thing in the middle charles whitman was a perfectly normal man until he woke up on july 31st 1966 he discovered he had an uncontrollable urge to kill Soon after, he killed 14 people, including his wife and mother. In his autopsy, it was revealed that a brain tumor was pushing on his amygdala, and that caused him to have murderous thoughts. It might be the only record of a brain tumor causing a person to become a serial killer. Jessica sent us a message on Instagram. Just listened to the Bad Art Museum episode. I recently went to a yard sale that was just Christian-related decor and books, which I wasn't too interested in, but I was too to let, but I was too polite to let them know. So I walked around until I came across a monstrosity. Even the most devout Christian would agree, except these people, of course. One painting was a big canvas of flames with arms reaching up to blackness. 
with chains, literal chains, hanging across the canvas. That sounds like just the thing to brighten up our den. Right. Next to it was a haunting face screaming, God, no, I am sorry. Wow. It sounds lovely. (laughs) Jessica, do you have photos? Come on. (laughs) Jessica, you know we require uh, photographic evidence in cases such as this. We'll forgive you this time, but... Not because we don't believe you, because we don't want to see it. Yeah, well, Hobbs. (laughs) Nicole sent us a message. The real question is, did you buy the crucible tongs from his wish list? (laughs) (laughs) You talking about the time travel guy? Yeah. No, you know, I should have. I really should have. Yeah. What better thing to wake up in the morning and realize that some rando has purchased something from your <laughs> public Amazon wish list? That's what I want to do with my life. And this just came in. Dear Box Off, the Camp Lejeune Justice Act of 2022, <laughs> those who lived, worked, or were exposed even in utero to toxic water between 1954. Sure. I guess, uh, wow. So even as a company, we've been affected by Camp Lejeune. I guess. Well, that's good to know. Oh, man. I have had a real influx of spam the last, I don't know, two weeks or so. Lots of big dick offers. Excuse me? What kind of websites are you visiting? I have won every gift certificate you can imagine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, Camp Lejeune. Today, I got five second notices from Ace Hardware about the gift I won. Yeah. Yeah. All right, my love. Weave me a tale, if you would be so kind to do so. That's a lot of so's in just one sentence. Yeah, I know. I way over sewed it. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Box of Oddities. 
The question is, why? That was for Laura on the Freaks group who said, can we get the mummy sound once every episode? It's not too much to ask. All right. There you go, Laura. You remember a while back we talked about Ada Blackjack? Of course. And the amazing survival story with her ship cat, Victoria. Right. So we were talking about our love of ship cats, obviously, and we got a couple of messages about ship cats. Cats that live on lived on ships. Yeah. So that got me uh, learning about Mrs. Chippy. Mrs. Chippy was a ship's cat who accompanied Sir Ernest Shackleton. Shackleton. Imperial Trans-Antarctic Expedition of 1914 to 1917. The tabby was brought on board by master shipwright Harry Chippy McNish. Chippy being a local term for a carpenter. The cat followed McNish around like an overly attentive wife. Hence, (laughs) Mrs. Chippy. Mrs. Chippy was described as full of character by members of the expedition. The crew were impressed with his ability to walk along the ship's inch-wide rails, even during rough seas. Wow. In Captain Frank Worsley's diary, he described Mrs. Chippy climbing the rigging exactly after the manner of a seaman going aloft. Thomas Ord Lees wrote in a diary dated September 13, 1914, an extraordinary thing happened during the night. The tabby jumped overboard through one of the cabin portholes. And the officer on watch, Lieutenant Hudson, heard his screams and turned the ship smartly around and picked her up. The tabby must have been in the water 10 minutes or more. The cat was retrieved by the ship's biologist, Robert Clark, using one of the sample nets they had on board. That's heartwarming. Yeah. Sadly, Mrs. Chippy and several of the dogs that accompanied the crew did not survive the trip. After the Endurance became trapped in pack ice and was destroyed, Shackleton decided that Mrs. Chippy and five of the sled dogs that had been carried on board would not survive. In a diary entry dated October 29, 1915, he recorded, This afternoon, Sally's three youngest pups, Sue's Sirius and Mrs. Chippy, the carpenter's cat, have to be shot. We could not undertake the maintenance of weaklings under the new conditions. McNish took the loss of Mrs. Chippy particularly hard and never forgave Shackleton for having him killed. Mrs. Chippy was was a male? Yes. Okay, cool. McNish died destitute in New Zealand in September 1930 and was buried with full naval honors in an unmarked grave. The New Zealand Antarctic Society placed a headstone on that grave in 1959, and to this they added a life-size bronze statue of Mrs. Chippy. Oh, Oh, that's okay. We are going on a world tour of cat statues. (laughs) Oh, okay. I wasn't expecting that twist. Yeah. Another seafaring cat, they aren't all, but this one is, Trim. Trim was a seafaring kitty who traveled the world with the British navigator Matthew Flinders. Trim was born in 1799 aboard the ship MHS Reliance on a voyage from the Cape of Good Hope to Botany Bay. As a kitten, Trim also fell overboard, but managed to swim back to the vessel and climb aboard by scaling a rope. (laughs) Oh my God. Now this was noticed. The incredible strong survival instinct and intelligence Flinders noticed noted that made this cat his favorite. The tuxedo cat traveled with him all over the world and survived a shipwreck of the HMS Porpoise, 
When Flinders was accused of spying and imprisoned by the French on Mauritius, Trim stayed with him in captivity until his unexplained disappearance. Flinders wrote of the cat, one of the finest animals I ever saw. His robe was a clear jet black, with the exception of his forefeet, which seemed to have been dipped in snow and under his lip, which rivaled them in whiteness. I love how lovingly and affectionate these gnarled old seafaring gents wax poetic about their cats. I know, right? In 1996, a bronze statue of Trim by sculptor John Cornwell, donated by the North Shore Historical Society, was erected on a window ledge of the Mitchell Library in Sydney, directly behind a statue of Flinders. On the plaque, words written by Flinders, to the memory of Trim, and it starts, the best and most illustrious of his race and most affectionate of friends. It goes on, but I literally don't think I could make it through without crying. You're tearing up already. It's so beautiful. (laughs) Fuck off. Toddy lived with Edith Irene Sodergran, a Finnish poet in Russia. It was observed after Sodergran died, Toddy refused to eat or drink, visiting her grave every day. The neighborhood was so touched by this cat's loyalty that after Toddy passed away, they say of a broken heart, Finnish sculptor Nina Terno erected a statue in their honor that you can find in the village of Roschino today. Are they sure the cat died of a broken heart and not starvation? They, they thought, oh, the cat's just going out to visit the grave to pay respects when really it was like, hey, you haven't fed me for a while. Is that a possibility, do you think? Um, maybe, but I think the townsfolk tried to feed it. I don't, I, I don't know the full story. Okay. I have questions, too. The Oxford Dictionary of National Biography calls Samuel Johnson arguably the most distinguished man of letters in English history. And Hodge was his companion. The 18th century dictionary pioneer was said to have an affection for animals in general, but he especially loved his cat. James Boswell, in his Life of Johnson, wrote, I never shall forget the indulgence with which he treated Hodge, his cat, for whom he himself used to go out and buy oysters, lest the servants having the trouble should take a dislike to the poor creature. Johnson refused to send his servants out to buy Hodge's oysters because it would be seen as degrading to the servants because oysters then were like poor people food. I see. And he didn't want his servants to have to. So he would go out himself and buy this lowly street food for his cat because the oysters were his favorite. That's a feline with distinguished taste. Near their former shared home in London, you can find a statue of Hodge crafted in 1997 in bronze. The cat is seated atop a dictionary alongside some empty oyster shells. Tombele was a street cat from Istanbul. The cat became popular with residents of the neighborhood for her friendliness and her very unique way of leaning against steps. As a result, a photo of this pose became known worldwide in social networks and became an internet phenomenon. She's kind of leaning against a step with one of her arms up over it. You've seen it. I know it. I know. I have. Yes. A petition signed by over 17,000 people asked for a sculpture of Tom Bele. The sculpture was revealed on World Animal Day in 2016. The sculpture is her likeness in the exact same location where she can be seen in the famous picture. On the exact same step? Yep. 
Oh, that's cool. I know. Another cat that gained popularity on social media is Hamish McHamish, (laughs) a ginger cat that the whole city of St. Andrews, Scotland loved. Hamish was born in 1999 and was initially owned by Marianne Baird, a retired BBC producer with whom he lived during his first years. During this time, he became increasingly nomadic and would spend more and more time away from home. And as he spent more time away from home, the town folks started making sure he had water and food and stuff. And he knew that he could get whatever he wanted from various homes. The city so adored this cat that they began a fund to install a monument in this cat's honor. While he became the town's cat, sort of, Miss Baird still cared for his well-being by ensuring that he went to the vet every year for a health check and vaccines and all that. The creation of a Hamish McHamish Facebook profile with in-character messages supposedly composed by the cat had about 5,000 friends. And the local bookshop had a Hamish Recommends section with cookbooks for fish and fiction featuring cats. (laughs) There was also a book written about Hamish McHamish. Hamish McHamish had far-reaching influence. Yeah. Susan McMullen wrote a book called Hamish McHamish of St. Andrews, Cool Cat About Town. The sculpture was designed by Scottish sculptor David Anand and finished in 2014, sadly the same year that Hamish passed away. But the town and his monument still celebrate him. The Manake Neko is a common Japanese figurine which is believed to bring good luck to store owners. It's the lucky cat. And in modern times, they're usually made of ceramic or plastic. The figurine depicts a cat, traditionally a calico Japanese bobtail, with a paw raised in a Japanese beckoning gesture. The, usually the arm will wave back and forth, you know? Uh-huh. You've seen them. Sure. According to the Caddington Post, legend has it that Gotokuji, a Buddhist temple in Tokyo, is the birthplace of the lucky cat. It's said that a wealthy samurai was taking shelter under a tree near a temple when he noticed the temple priest's cat beckoning him to take shelter inside. Just as he approached the cat, the tree he'd been sheltering under was struck by lightning. Oh, wow. He was so grateful that the cat had saved his life, and he gifted the temple with funding for its upkeep. When the cat died, a statue was created in his likeness, creating the lucky cat that we know today. There are over 1,000 cat statues at the Gotokuji Temple, and this gains the temple a lot of attention. The photos are fascinating. So it's not really a monument so much as a experience. Now, some cats are total nomads, and that's what German sculptor Siegfried Neuenhausen celebrated with his 1981 monument to homeless cats in Braunschweig, Germany. The design calls people to behave more attentively to animals because only the most attentive people are able to count the number of bronze cats featured. So it's an effort to raise awareness of the stray cat population and also a social statement. And with that, it's a great reminder to spay and neuter your pets. Please visit SPCA International. They've helped to spay and neuter thousands of animals worldwide. And in the States, you can find a list of local low-cost spay and neuter organizations near you at ASPCA.com. I'm not Bob Barker, but, you know, same message. No, I think you are a little bit like Bob Barker. You're a sexy Bob Barker. Yeah? Yeah. In addition to my aforementioned sources, I used Hyperallergic, Catitude Daily, and, of course, Wikipedia. 
We'll keep you up to date as things develop with the Freak Family Game Night. And uh, you'll hear about it uh, here and on our social media pages. Once we get all the deets locked in, should be a lot of fun. We need to come up with some prizes. Happy 500th. Happy 500th. And thank you, you freak, for uh, helping us get to 500. It certainly couldn't happen unless you were listening. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast On Twitter at Box of Oddities and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast Copyright 2023 All rights reserved I'm a little upset that you called me a sexy Bob Barker but yeah (laughs) love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring well look no further and join me katie charlwood your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as i delve into unsolved historical mysteries murders by gaslight and of course women who have been misrepresented through all time on who did what now the history podcast that's not your history class listen wherever you get your podcasts hello everyone stakuyi here and i'm gabby And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.